We are so, so glad that you're here. Welcome to everybody watching online. Welcome to Palm Bay and DeLand. Listen, things are happening in both of those campuses. Energy, growth, souls being saved, service. Uh, we're so excited for both. So guys, thank you all for being out there. And those of you that are watching all over the country, I'll be back to talk to you in just a little while. So, uh, so stick with me. Um, the question we're going to ask tonight is this. What do I do now? I don't think a lot of Christians ever ask that question. And I think it's why the Western church struggles so much. Because the church oftentimes is talked about, well, you need to get saved, you need to get saved, you need to get saved. Well, I've been saved for 40 years. Now what? Now, some of you here have not been saved yet. So that's step number one. You need to accept Jesus. You need to repent. You need to be baptized. That's how it starts. But for the rest of us... What do I do now? And if the church can't answer that question, then what happens is church becomes very boring. You get tired. I get tired. People quit coming because nobody answers the question, what do we do now? Once you and I are Christians, it is our job to change the world. Are you ready for that? We are ready to change eternity for somebody else. That's why that we're here. Now, Here's what I believe, and I say we, so don't think I'm picking on you. We, in the Western church, have become very lazy. It's nobody's fault. It's just the way it is. We bought a lie that said we were a Christian nation. We bought that lie after World War II, and we've been walking further and further away from that, and we're surprised that we've ended up where we are. While the rest of the world, the Christians have been arrested, their homes have been burnt, their church buildings have been burnt, their children have been sold into slavery, and we look at this stuff and go, wow, that's crazy. It's too bad they don't have a Christian nation like ours. I hope you see where we're headed. If you believe that we're the only country in the world that's not going to be persecuted, you don't have a very good understanding of Scripture, nor do you have a very good understanding of history. So it is my job to get us ready for that. Let me throw out some numbers, all right? In the next 18 months, ready for this? 70,000 churches were going to close in the United States of America. 70,000 churches. You know why? Because they couldn't answer the question, now what? What do we do now? How do we help reach somebody else? What do we do with ourselves now that we're Christians? And here's the other number I want to throw at you. This is from the UN's website. <clears throat> Somewhere between 100 and 150 million children are going to starve to death this year. because Not because of COVID, but because of government's terrible response to the COVID problem. 150 million children. Now, that's not acceptable. So we're going to do some things today. You know it's my job to make you uncomfortable, right? Do you think, you think Jesus was comfortable on the cross? Raise your hands if you think Jesus was comfortable hanging on the cross. I don't think so. But somewhere along the line, the church has said, it should be comfortable. I want air conditioning and soft seats, and I want a soft message, and I want something to make me happy. And 70,000 of those happy churches are dying this year. Because we're never meant to be happy, we're meant to be holy. So our job is to imitate Jesus. So we're going to be very interactive today. All right. So my job is to make you uncomfortable from beginning to end, but in biblical ways. All right. So we're going to start today with a prayer time. 
We're going to pray for the nation of Colombia. You see maps in the back of the room. And we're going to talk about Colombia more. Colombia is overrun with gangs and drugs, but the church is having an incredible resurgence there. And we're going to pray for Egypt. As you know, my heart lies heavily in Egypt. We have planted 450 churches there. And our leaders, Safa and Mona, are, have been arrested for being Christians. They are going on trial Tuesday. If convicted, uh, they'll spend a year each in jail. They're 70 years old. So we have proclaimed Monday, tomorrow, a day of prayer and fasting for our missionaries in Egypt. I don't know what God wants to do. I'm just asking you to pray. If you've never done this, this is where we're going to stretch you. Don't eat, right? Drink. Don't eat. If you can do it all day, pray all day. Pray during the meal times. Pray for Egypt and for Safa. If you can just do one meal, and some of you, I know you have health issues, but the point is to set aside a time where you devote yourself to pray. And we're going to start that now. If you can, we're going to kneel and we're going to pray. Kneel, kneeling is a sign of submission. If you can't, kneel in your mind, okay? So here we go. And it's easier to go down than it is to get up. <clears throat> Almighty God, we come to you admitting just how dependent we are upon you. We can't do this, but you can. We confess our sin to you, and we have some real burdens on our hearts besides our personal burdens. We cry out for the nation of Colombia. Millions of people, millions of children that are on the brink of starvation, that you would do miraculous work through us and through your people. And Father, for our family in Egypt, God bless them. I can't imagine why this needs to happen. I trust your hand, but Lord, I'm asking for a miracle to keep them out. I'm asking for a miracle. Uh, I, I don't know what it looks like. And I'll trust your hand either way we go, but God, I'm praying that you would protect them, bring peace to them. Just grant them rest tonight as they prepare. And Lord, may this church grow from our experience of learning how to pray better. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, but let me help you understand something. And here's the second challenge, all right? We're going to pray. But the second challenge is this, all right? It's going to get harder from here. Um, if you think that the, the cancel culture that's going on right now, if you think that their goal is Dr. Seuss, you are sadly mistaken. Think about this for a minute. Cancel culture. We want to do away with male and female. We want to do away with the idea of traditional marriage. I wonder where the idea to destroy 70,000 churches came from. If we have everybody locked down, what's one of the entities that's going to be easily destroyed? It will be the small churches. The cancel culture's goal is to destroy the church. Because who, who is the backbone of morality? Who's the only one challenging cancel culture? It is the Word of God. It is the people of God. Listen, I can't do anything for those 70,000 other churches, but I am responsible for this one, and I do not intend for this one to be one of them. And I hope you're with me on that. All right? 
So, here's your second challenge. There's 206 chapters in the New Testament. You didn't know that? You do now. 206 chapters. I'm going to challenge every adult here to memorize a chapter. We'll figure it out later. We'll sort it out. But you take one chapter that speaks to you, and I realize we're going to get a lot of overlap. I picked a very obscure one, so it's doubtful that anybody's going to get mine. And memorize it. And in a few months, we will come back together and we'll see where we are. And here's my idea. Not only besides getting the Word of God into your minds, our minds, our hearts, but if they come and take all the Bibles, we'll write it again. Because we've got the whole thing memorized. Does that sound like a good idea to everybody? All right? All right, that's not the sermon. That's just that's just the warm-up, all right? So uh, there's my challenge, for to pray and to fast on Monday and to find a chapter and start memorizing. Well, how do I do that? Well, here's how you memorize a line at a time, a word at a time. And then you go to the second word and you put two or three of them together. And eventually you'll be amazed at what God will do when you start putting his word inside of you. All right, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 12. And I, I told you, if you listen to the video, that it's six, it's six verses. It's crazy because up until this point, we've talked about the sin of Israel, the sin of Judah. We've talked about the judgment of Assyria. We've talked about wars. We've talked about destruction. We've talked about the call that God has on Isaiah's life. And all of this is going on. And all of a sudden, he stops and throws in a worship song. And that's what chapter 12 is. Six verses of a beautiful worship song celebrating God in the middle of the pain. See, I think sometimes we think, well, I can only worship God when everything's going well. If I can only worship God when everything's going well, I've missed the whole point of worship. God deserves my worship when things are good, bad, indifferent. He's the priority in my life. And it's a reminder that the problems I have now are temporary. And when I worship, it's a reminder that I'm eternal. There's the goal. So here's what it says. If you'll stand out of respect for God's word. In that day, you will say, here's the song. I will praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. And proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known in all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you. You can be seated. So, I beg you don't leave. There's a lot of moving pieces in this service. I promise I'll tell you when we're over. Okay? So don't, don't leave and miss some of the key parts because the last thing he says is I will praise my God. And that's why we've put the worship at the end so that after we get through this whole process of prayer and scripture and what it means to put all this together that we'll have a time to actually praise God. So what do I do now? I'm a Christian. 
Well, this answers it. I told you to read the six. If that didn't work, read the first three. And if that didn't work, you could just read the first verse. Isaiah said, because of what God has done for me, I will praise. You see that? You can highlight that right there in your Bible. I will praise. So let's just take that apart. I. That's me. You sports people, you know this term. You've heard a coach scream this in your face. There is no I in team. How many have heard that? There's no I in team. You know what? You ready for this? This is mine. You can write this down. This is brilliant. Ready? There's no team in I. What are you talking about? When I stand before God, I won't stand with all of you. The Mocha Christian Church will not stand together. My family won't be there. My wife won't be there. My kids won't be there. My friends won't be there with me. I will stand alone in the presence of God. You will stand alone in the presence of God. Well, my great-grandfather was a Methodist pastor. He won't be there. You will be there. It'll just be you. It'll just be me. I will praise. Kind of reminds me of back in chapter 6 when God challenged Isaiah. Remember that? Who will go for me? Who will represent me? Who will go tell people of my holiness and about the Messiah that's to come? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Remember that great verse, Isaiah 6, 8? But the great thing about that verse is that Isaiah was the only one in the room. It's not like there was 500 people like there is now. It was just Isaiah and God. And God says, Isaiah, who will go for me? Isaiah's looking around. Uh, here I am. Yeah. That's the I part of this. See, I can't do your job. You can't do mine. You're not supposed to. But when you do yours and I do mine and we all do ours, we change the world. We change eternity for neighborhoods. We change eternity for cities. We change eternity for countries. That's what we do. Listen to this passage in Colossians. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as, as if working for who? As if working for the Lord. Well, how do I work on my marriage? The way I'm working on my relationship with the Lord. Well, how do I break this addiction? By working on it the way I work with the Lord. One of the greatest comments was ever made to me, Ray Lewis, God bless Ray, he's probably watching online this morning. He'll say amen and you'll probably still hear him somewhere. But uh, Ray, Ray's involved, he, he's in our hospital ministry, he's in our nursing home ministries, he's been on a lot of mission trips with me. And um, Ray's, Ray's up there, he's, he's 80, 80 some. And uh, I, one day I just pulled him aside and I said, Ray, I just, I just want to thank you. Man, I want to thank you for all that you do. In the midst of my sarcasm, I thought I would be honest and real. And, uh, and he looked at me and he said, Joe, I wouldn't do any of this for you. He said, but I would do all of it for Jesus. That's what this verse includes. See, if you're doing it for me, eventually you're going to get sick of that. Ask my wife. All right? Eventually you're going to go, you know what? All right, Joe sold me on this, but I, I don't buy it anymore. See, that's not the goal. You're not buying me, you're buying Jesus. 
You're buying his word. You're buying the connection that you have. It is that I factor that we're after. It's you and God that have to connect. See, when I play golf, I would rather play in a scramble. If you've ever played in, in a scramble, that means you get one good golfer. And you play the best ball that all four of you hit. Many times I never hit the ball. I just pick mine up and walk down to where they hit. Saves me a lot of time. And I think a lot of people believe that's what they're going to get when they go before God. But that's not how it is. It won't be the best ball. It'll be just your shot. It'll be you and God one-on-one. Now, I have to tell you, I was at a, a missions event last week over on the west coast of Florida. And... Um, there was a bunch of missionaries there, and we wanted to go somewhere nice. So we went to this restaurant, and we meet this guy. All right, you ever run into one of these guys? Tough birds, right? The mater d' at the... And I said, I said, listen, I said, I have got a guy here from the Choctaw tribe, the Cherokee tribe, the Apache tribe, and I said, we need a, a, a table. He said, you can't get in. I said, well, listen, I've got some French Canadians. I've got some folks from Mexico. I've got an Inca, an Aztec. I said, we need some tables. He said, you can't get in. I said, well, I've got people from Japan and China and Tibet and the Philippines. He said, you can't get in. I said, listen, I got people from Korea. I got people from Lebanon. I got people from Israel. I got people from London. He said, you can't get in. I said, what do you mean I can't get in? He said, nobody gets in without a tie. couple of you get there yet? Now, those of you that are offended by that, send me an email and I'll send you a Dr. Seuss book. Okay? All right? All right. That's, that, maybe that was funnier than my joke. Nobody gets in without a tie. That's funny. All right. So, I. It comes down to me and God. But then I will. Guess what that will is? That's an action I will. I will be in church. I will worship. I will tithe. I will give. I will serve. I will go. I will teach. I will. It's an action that each one of us has. And again, I like how the Apostle Paul said it. This is Galatians 6. For each one of us should carry his own load. You don't have to carry my load. Tell me that verse couldn't be used in the halls of the Senate in the United States. Each man... Each person should carry their own load. You don't have to carry mine. I don't have to carry yours. But I, I'm responsible for mine. You're responsible for yours. And when we each carry what we're meant to carry, we change the world. That's how God intended for it to be. But if only 20% of the people in the church are involved, you're very limited in how much you can actually get done. So... With my will, what has God asked me to do? You know what? He asked Adam to watch a garden. He asked Noah to build a boat. He asked Jeremiah to go down to a potter's house. He asked Isaiah to be a speaker. But all of us have been given different responsibilities. As far as I know, that one boat was all that's ever been needed. God's never said to anybody else, build a boat. I know some of you guys are like, man, that would have been my job. I'd have been in on that. Yeah. But each of us has been given a task. All right. 
So here's one more thing we're going to do today that's interactive. Don't go. Don't leave. All right? We're far from over. But in those back corners, there are children from Columbia. And we planted a church two years ago. How many of you remember last, not this last Christmas, but the Christmas before, we committed to plant a church in Columbia? Anybody remember that? We sent a check for $48,000, and we were a partner in a, in a plant down there. Now, here's the deal. There's a church in Phoenix that sent $3 million that year. They decided that they were going to take over the nation of Columbia, that they were going to bring Columbia to know Jesus Christ, and they were going to build a church for every kid to go to church and feed every kid in Columbia. They came up just a little bit short, and on the North Pacific coast, there's a city called Buena Ventura, and that's the city that was left for us. So here's some pictures. You can see, well, go back to the map if you would. All right, we're, uh, we're, uh, we're up here. We're up here on the coast, right on the Pacific coast, Buena Ventura. And here's what your, uh, your building looks like. It would have been built. I would have been down there with a group of you, and we'd have had pictures and lots of other things. But COVID has not allowed us to do that. Here's some of what it looks like. The church building is, is going up. You see them building it. Uh, COVID is kind of, well, for six months we weren't able to do anything. But here's some of the, the care packages, food, medicine going out. Here they are stacked up. The good news about this is that the church has continued to go without a building. And how I know this is the right church for Tomoka, they don't have their building built yet, and they've already planted another church. So they get our DNA. They understand what we're trying to do. So I asked the question, because we were supposed to go down in March, we were supposed to go down in August, uh, maybe May. Well, we're still here. I've not been there yet. Um, I said, well, do we wait till I go down there before we do anything else? And they said, if you do, these children will starve. I said, okay, that would not be an option. So in the back corner are children. And we have, we need, well, from this group, we need about 250 sponsors today. Now, let me explain. No pressure. If you don't want to sponsor a child, no pressure. All right? I don't do pressure. All right? All right? If you can do 20, that's great. If you can do one, that's great. I will tell you, this has been one of the biggest faith builders for me in my life. And some of you have sponsored kids. Listen, I've got a portfolio. Luann and I have got children that we sponsor all over the world. We've got churches we sponsor. We've got missionaries we sponsor, plus our tithe here at the church. And you can tell I haven't lost any weight. So there still must be food in my house somewhere, okay? Um, so I don't know where you're at. It's $38. Here's how it works. It's $38 a month, but you are feeding an entire family. All right. It's not just one person. They're getting medical care. They're getting food. They're getting clothes. These kids are getting an education. They're being protected from gangs. In fact, the girl that I sponsored, because I could not with integrity do this if I didn't commit to another child sponsorship. Here's my little girl. Her name is Danny. Danny's 10 years old and she's in kindergarten. She's trying to survive. They tried to get me video footage, but where she lives is so gang and drug infested that they couldn't even get in to get me pictures of her specific story. But this is the girl that I got. I don't know what God wants to do in this girl's life, but Luann and I get to be a part of this. So 
some, when you do some child sponsorships, you're one of ten. When you sponsor with Compassion International, you're it. Right? You are the sponsor. That's why it's $38. But you are providing everything for a child. So can you do one? All right, let me see if I can give you perspective. 20,000 people are going to be in heaven because of what you just did in the last 12 minutes. I think that's worth cheering for. An entire city is now going to hear about the gospel, and they are open, and they are winning people. And again, when we win the kids, you go in and tell somebody, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. And they're like, my kids are starving to death. Don't bother telling me. You go in and feed their children. Now you've earned the right to tell them about the great God that we love and serve and who died for them. So thank you to every one of you who did that. But we got one part of the message left. I will praise. See, Isaiah said, this flows out of what? He said, God, I was guilty. I was condemned, but you were angry with me. And now you have turned your anger away from me. And through the Messiah, you have brought me salvation. And my only response to that salvation is what? I will praise. Now, there's all kinds of words in Hebrew that could have been used there. There are words that mean to sing. There are words that mean to clap. There are words that mean to raise your hands and celebrate. There are words that mean to kneel. And all of those would be accurate words to demonstrate praise to God. But none of those are used here. <clears throat> Isaiah says, I will praise. The word that he uses, it's like a javelin. It is a picture of throwing back to God all the blessings he's given to us. God, you've forgiven me. Thank you. God, you have, you have blessed me so that I can eat. Thank you. God, you have forgiven my sins. Thank you. God, you have provided. Thank you. And it is a picture of a constant giving back to God. That is the praise factor. Remember when Jesus, we'll talk about this next week. Remember when Jesus was riding the donkey into Jerusalem and the, the kids are, and the people and the rabble like us were all gathered around and Jesus is on the donkey and they're throwing down blankets and they're yelling, Hosanna to the son of David. They're proclaiming him to be the savior. Remember that? It says they were praising, Luke 19, when they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God, to throw it all up to God. Ah, oh, the religious people, they were there that day too. And they said, Jesus, can't you stop this rabble? And he said, I could. But if I stop them, the rocks will cry out. Because the truth will be delivered. So the third part is that I will praise. Sing, kneel, pray, cry out, memorize scripture. But we're going to finish this service with an opportunity to cry out to God. So don't go anywhere. All right? This is when we actually worship. If you've not accepted Jesus, you're watching online, you hit that button, I've decided. That's where we go next. Palm Bay to land here, there's a sign that says decision. Go there. You just need prayer today. Go to the other side of the stage. People will be there to pray for you. The tables will stay open in the back. Here's what I know. If you and I don't have it on the inside, it'll never show on the outside. And what I wanted you to see today is that it's time for the church to get tough. 
It's time for us to realize we're in a battle. We pray, we memorize scripture, we give, we go. It is our job to change eternity for people. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. He said, when all the suns and nebulae have passed away, each one of you will still be alive. And each one of those children in Columbia, they'll be alive because they're eternal. The question is, where will we spend eternity? You get to decide that. So we're going to go into our time of communion now, and then we'll bring the praise team out. But we hold this cup, and again, it's pretty, isn't it? We've never given you anything horrible. We probably should do this in a different way. Um, Because what Jesus did, it was not pretty. Would, Would everybody admit it wasn't comfortable? To be mocked, to be spit on, to have a crown of thorns jammed on your head, to have people make fun of you, to be whipped to your bleeding out all over the ground and then be told to pick up a 500-pound cross and carry it up a hill so we can nail you to it. That was the least of it. The real issue is that Jesus was taking all of our sins on him while the nails were going in. Was it comfortable for Jesus? No. Should Christianity be comfortable for us? No. So as we take the bread, I hope you'll remember it was not comfortable for Jesus. And it's not meant to be for me. Lord, I remember. Make me tough. And then we take the juice. And this is not a formality. It was his blood that was spattered all over the deck. All over the whipping post. All over the concrete. And all over the cross. Very uncomfortable. Lord, may we have this kind of courage. So, Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And we pray that that we would live it out. That we would ask the question that Isaiah asked, what do we do now? And that we would be people who get serious, memorizing, praying, fasting, giving, and going. Lord, hear our prayers in Jesus' name.